be kidding me. Absolutely sensational. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and in this episode, I'm going to talk about uh, the latest news on tour, um, that being Nick Kyrgios winning a tournament. Wow, can you believe that? He actually uh, was able to sustain mentally uh, himself enough in order to get to the end stages of a tournament and win. Yes, I, I understand. It's the uh, it's like what the second time he's done it this year. Granted, I understand uh, he did do it before, but um, you're always a little surprised when it happens, so we'll talk about that here in a second. Uh, of course, uh, we're going to do the news, which means more or less talking about this Nick Curious win. Uh, and then, of course, we also have uh, the draw for the Rogers Cup, and uh, we will get to that in set two. But before we get to any of that, we do have some feedback. So... I got an email from uh, a woman named Marion, and uh, I want to read the email and let you know her thoughts. So this is what she had to say. Uh, Hi, Mike. Uh, Thanks for uh, doing the podcast each week. I've been following you for a while now, and I wanted to uh, comment on what you said about Alexander Zverev in last week's episode. I don't really believe that Zverev is a player who will fail to live up to expectations. And my biggest beef with what you had to say is the idea that in a lot of ways you're already writing him off. Uh, I don't feel like Zverev is a player that is incapable of reaching the highest levels of tennis. But to say that at this point, he is pretty much not going to get there, or at least you seem to indicate that you feel that he is in a real danger of getting to that point feels a little premature. Yes, I will acknowledge the fact that Zverev has not managed to actually get to the later stages of Grand Slam play like he probably thought he would at this point, but at the age that he is at right now, I don't feel like we should write him off so soon. I just wanted to let you know that I didn't quite agree with what you had to say. I understand where you're coming from, but I just don't believe that at this point we should actually lay judgment on Zverev and start already thinking that his career will be a dud, similar to, as you said, Grigor Dimitrov, who also has time to turn things around, but at this point it feels like he is in a make-or-break moment of his career. But Zverev is younger than Dimitrov. He has a lot more years in order to reach uh, his dreams and his goals. So I wanted to let you know what I thought. Thanks for doing the podcast and keep up the good work. All right. So, Marion, first off, thank you for uh, your uh, email. Um, it was good to get some feedback. And um, look, I, I guess in a lot of ways, I, you could say that last week's topic was, uh, you know, it, it was a little, I don't know, clickbaity, I suppose. I mean, I, I did have something to say about Zverev, and he's been brought up on this podcast before. But I really wanted to kind of illustrate that Alexander Zverev is a player who has a ton of potential, but at this stage of his career, and yes, he is still quite young, but at this stage of his career, he should be 
pushing the top players more. He should be reaching the latter stages of Grand Slam play. If if he was reaching, you know, quarterfinals and better of some of the the last four or five Grand Slam Grand Slams that have been played, then I would not be as critical because he would have at least started to get to the later stages. It's something he could build on, you know, say, okay, fine. Um, I made it to the fourth round of the U.S. Open, uh, and then I went to Australia, and I made it to the quarterfinals, and then I made it to the quarterfinals of, you know, Wimbledon, and, you know, now I made it to the semifinals of the U.S. Open. You know, that's progress. You know, that's getting there. You're starting to build on your results. You're starting to gain some confidence. And, in fact, what we've seen is, you know, Alexander Zverev losing in the second round, the third round, the fourth round. You know, more often than not, he's losing in the early to mid rounds against players that really have no business beating him. And that's not a slight on those players. It's just he's often losing the players and or being taken to five sets often against players that he shouldn't have that much difficulty with, which then even if he manages to scrape through those matches tends to lead to him being completely drained and wiped and then losing tamely in the next in the next match so look i see where you're coming from marion that um you don't feel that zaverev has um reached a point in his career where he's in danger of getting to the point where he is not going to have much of a shot at winning a Grand Slam or getting to number one. And yes, maybe it is a little early to start kind of passing judgment. And I'm not really trying to pass judgment. It's more like um, like a warning, really. I feel like we need to start to realize that uh, players have moments in their career where they have the opportunity to achieve great things. Some players like Federer and Djokovic and Nadal and Murray and a few others, maybe they have a much bigger window. You know, 15 years uh, is a long time. And, and you know, player like Nadal and players like Federer and, and Djokovic, they have been at the top for a long time and they're still winning these grand slams. I have seen players who have failed to live up to the immense talent they have. I've seen players like Nikolai Davidenko with all the talent in the world, smaller than he probably, you know, um, maybe he didn't have the the height that he needed. You know, I think he was like 5'10", you know, something like that, maybe 5'11 at best. Um, you know, he, he was a great player. He beat Federer, he beat uh, Djokovic, he beat Nadal um, multiple times. Never could win on the biggest stage. And then you have players like David Nelbandian, who's maybe one of the most talented players of the last 20 years. And it was a lack of dedication, a lack of dedication to fitness that uh, kept him from really becoming a, a great player, becoming, you know, a number one, number one in the world. He could have been number one if he really wanted to. He could have been number one in the world. Um, he could have won Grand Slam titles. And I really believe that. Uh, but he he didn't. And Part of that has to do with his inability to really dedicate himself. I, I believe that Zverev is dedicated, but there's some disconnect there 
And I, like I said before, I think he started to read his own press clippings. I think he started to get a little full of himself. I think he started to believe the hype a little bit. And then when he wasn't winning on the biggest stages, it started to affect him just a little bit. And then all of a sudden, Stefano Tsitsipas comes on the scene. And, all, and then they're talking about him. And they're not talking about Zverev as much. And, and you know, when you've been the guy that people have been talking about for two years as being the heir apparent, and then all of a sudden you're not, um, that can affect you a bit. There's a lot of things that are in play when it comes to a player's psyche. And it's very fragile at times, very delicate, especially in the early stages of a career when you're just trying to become the player that you want to be. And he's struggling right now. And what I meant by last week was just a, a warning shot, pretty much, okay? And that's why I drew a parallel to, to Grigor Dimitrov, Marion. The point was, Grigor Dimitrov, like Zverev, at one point in time, was supposed to be the next great player. And yet, season after season, we've seen him squander his talent, squander opportunities. Sometimes he's been injured, and I understand that. But there's been a lot of times where he has squandered the opportunities given to him. He's played great at times. He's won you know, some big titles as well. But he has failed to capitalize when it matters most, and that's where we're currently at. You know, Zverev is still quite young. But you know what? You can't uh, you can't forever keep saying, well, the next opportunity, oh, the next Grand Slam, the next season, the next season, because all of a sudden you're 30 years old and you've never won a big title, uh, won a Grand Slam, become number one in the world. All of a sudden there's other players that are passing you by. You always have a, another generation in the rearview mirror who's uh, cruising up behind you real fast and they're like saying, hey, move it or lose it. You know, I'm going to pass you by here in about two seconds if you don't start doing something. You know, start proving yourself. Otherwise, get behind the line because uh, I'm, I'm taking over now. That's the way the sport is. That's why any sport is like that. You know, you have to take advantage when you have a chance. Do it. So, again, I'm not saying that Zverev won't become that player. I'm not saying that Zverev won't become a Grand Slam champion. I'm just saying there was a time when Grigor Dimitrov was going to be that player too. And at least at this point, it hasn't happened. And he is in a very make-or-break moment in his career. He is 20, what, 28 years old. He's only got, I mean, I know players are playing you know, well into their 30s, but you know, realistically, unless he hits a, a rich streak of great form, or, or sorry, a rich vein of, of form, uh, he's got maybe three, four more years, and, and then... I got to say, his, his his chances might be over. I don't want to say you know it's impossible, but look, Dimitrov is at a point where if he doesn't start really maximizing on his talent and his potential, it's never going to happen for him. You know? It, what, what at one time appeared to be a sure thing is now looking like it won't happen. And that's why I compared the two. I'm not saying that it'll happen to Zverev, but... Zverev has some real weaknesses to his game, Marion. And he's got to, you know, improve on those. He's got to become a much better volleyer. He's got to start adding more sting to his forehand. You know, and if he doesn't do that, there are real, real weaknesses that people can expose against Zverev. And he's got to either fix those and, and paper over those and do something to mitigate that, or he's not going to win those titles. So I'm just saying... It's a possibility. 
and I understand where you're coming from. I'm not trying to be too harsh on the guy, but I, I'm, I'm telling you, if he doesn't watch it, this could slip by very easily. He could just be another player that had a ton of talent and could never get it done. All right. Um, thanks, Marion, for sending in your feedback. Um, for anybody else that wants to send in feedback, you can send it to tennisaddictpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Uh, do you agree with my opinion? Do you not agree? Do you want to send your own um, topic for me to discuss? Uh, anything, anything, pretty much anything is is fair game here. So don't be afraid to send in your feedback. All right, let's get on to the news, which uh, the really th- the big thing I want to talk about is uh, Nick Kyrgios winning, right? Winning a tournament. Can you believe it? Crazy, right? But uh, Nick Kyrgios did just that by winning in Washington, right? So... Uh, Kyrgios played a great tournament, uh, made it to the final and faced uh, Daniil Medvedev, who is, is one of the other bright young stars that are coming up through uh, the tennis world and has been really making a name for himself over the last, I'd say about the last year or so. Um, he has really been uh, improving significantly. He's got a really great backhand, a big serve, Um you know, a player that a couple of years ago just looked like a world beater, but then at times he was so young and it just felt like he was going to fall apart at any second on the court, now appears to be finally starting to make real strides. And uh, he made it to the final. A really tough match there, a tight match. It was a two-setter, but but man, I'll tell you what, uh, that first set was a bit of a nip-and-tuck affair for, for Kyrgios. Um, it definitely could have gone uh, Medvedev's way, but uh, Kyrgios managed to do just enough in that first set in order to uh, you know pull out it pull it out and um, and enabled him to go on and win the match. Of course being Nick he he did pretty much everything that he could <laughs> to get into the mind of Medvedev. He was just doing his normal stuff, high fiving uh, the crowd, um, just just the old the old antics pretty much, that, that we've seen, which are both exciting and I'm sure for a lot of other players very irritating, which I think it is part of why Nick does it. He does it to get into the mind of the players across the net because if they can't concentrate on the game because they're concentrating on his antics, then that can only make Nick, you know, well, give him a better chance to win. So it was a, it was a two-setter. It was a 7-6, 7-6 match. Like I said, 8-6 uh, in the first set tie break, 7-4 in the second set tie break. So, I mean, this was a, a very, very tight uh, straight test victory. But you know what? Um, I got to give credit where credit's due. Nick found a way to do just enough. And, you know, apparently he said he's been working hard, which is, you know, is great. You know, I, I don't root against Nick Kyrgios. I root for him. I just want to see him maximize his potential. You've heard it on the you've heard it on this podcast before, and I'll say it many times moving forward. One of my biggest pet peeves is is watching players who have a ton of talent and who squander that talent. Because there's a lot of players out there that wish they had a fraction of the talent that a player like Nick Kyrgios has, and yet um, you know, we get to watch is someone like Nick Nick more often than not just shrugs his shoulders most of the time could care less whether he plays well out there or not. Whether he wants to play is, you know, a flip of the coin. 
Um, and to watch that is very frustrating to see. So, um, you know, congratulations to Nick for winning this, uh, this title. You know, he is, he's 24 years old. And he's coming into what really should be the prime of his career, the best years of his career, the the time when he should be winning Grand Slam titles, the time when he should be pushing the Djokovic's and the Dolls and the Fetters and helping usher them off into retirement. And um, thus far, for the most part, he hasn't done that. Um, but he played great this week. You know, he beat uh, Stefano Tsitsipas in a really great three-set match in the semis in uh, Washington. So I'm just saying, take this this really great run that you had and build on it. So we'll see what happens. But um, it's, it's a really, really great win for Nick, and I'm really glad to see that he's done it. Uh, let's see if he continues to do it moving forward. All right, so let's move on to uh, set two. Um, we're going to uh, take a look at some of the early matches in this tournament and just, you know, kind of highlight some of the matches that I feel like could be really fun to watch uh, before I get into my predictions for the draw. So in the early stages of the tournament, we have Dominic Team versus Denis Shapovalov, which I think, you know, could be a really great match in large part because both are, are really big shot makers. Shapovalov is a lefty, which will be interesting against a uh, team uh, going to his backhand, uh, which is the the wing that can break down, I think, a little more often. But Shapovalov is, is more of a shot maker. He's still pretty young. Uh, he hasn't quite progressed as quickly as I thought he might over the last couple of years. But he's the kind of player who can go out there and just just reel off some fantastic winners from any point in the court, uh, make the highlight on ESPN kind of shots, which are fantastic. Um, and Dominic Team is the same, but he's a much more complete player than Shapovalov. I mean, obviously, I think you know Team will, will probably win this match, but it's going to be a really fun match to watch if you want to see two players just really just going for broke, just ripping shot after shot on both sides of the court. And I think that's going to be a really fun one. All right, moving up through here, uh, we have um, Daniil Medvedev actually could possibly play Nick Kyrgios. Now, Kyrgios is going to be playing Kyle Edmund first, but if Kyrgios can get through this uh, Kyle Edmund match, then it means he'll be uh, you know playing the, the guy he just beat in the final a few days ago. So that could be another fantastic match, so watch out for that. And then moving up through here, we have uh, Felix uh, Ajer Aliasim against Milos Raonic. So obviously two Canadians. Uh, you have the, the Raonic, who has been kind of like the standard bearer for Canadian tennis now for, for years now, um, almost a decade. And you have Felix Ajer Aliasim, who's like the next young gun, a player that a lot of people were starting to say that uh, you know he could be another one of those possible Grand Slam champions in, in the next few years um, because you know he's right up in there and I feel like uh, potential wise the the Zverev the Tsitsipas kind of level so that's going to be a really interesting match because you have a big server versus someone like Ali Asim who's got a lot of uh, spin on his shots especially on the forehand side. 
Uh, but he was a complete player. He's really got excellent defense, uh, good touch at the net. So that's going to be a fun one. Then you have Stan Wawrinka versus Karen Hatchinov, uh, two players with a ton of power. Um, just, And I think this is going to be another one of those uh, matches where it's just, just going to be a slugfest. You know, two players who's going to be looking for the moment that they can actually hit a ripping forehand or a, or a screaming down the line backhand. Um, that's going to be fun just to see those two just trading blow after blow. And then um, we have, uh, let's see, Kini Shikori versus Richard Gasquet. Uh, Gasquet is, I think, probably at this stage of his career, probably, in, in, I'm just saying, you know, no indication that he's going to retire, but I feel like Gasquet is kind of in the twilight of his career. I don't expect him to play for too much longer, maybe another year or two at best, and, and then I think he'll probably retire. Uh, Nishikori, uh, number five seed, you know, he's still got a lot in the tank career-wise. He's in his late 20s, but um, he's also looking, I think, to start making some strides again because it, it's really been a tough couple of years for Nishikori, actually. So we'll see what he can do here. And then... Um, Let's see. We also have Nadal versus Dan Evans, which is, you know, uh, Nadal had a bye. Uh, I, I thought, and I'm just I'm kind of being completely upfront here, um, you know, they already played the first uh, the first round. Uh, I thought it was going to be Alex Dimonor, honestly. I really didn't think that Evans was going to win. Um, I thought Dimonor, who he's played so well in the last couple of weeks, I thought he was going to definitely be a shoe-in, almost a shoe-in to face Nadal. Instead, it's Dan Evans. So uh, it's going to be Evans versus Nadal, and that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. So uh, now let's look at the draw, and I'm going to make my picks here for who I think is going to make it to the latter stages of this Masters 1000 tournament. So on the top portion of the draw, which is Nadal's side, I have uh, Nadal getting to the quarterfinals, and facing off against Fabio Fanini, um, who I think will put together a nice tournament for himself. Um, and I think that Nadal will win that battle in order to get to the semis. And then down below, I think that it's going to be Stefano Tsitsipas versus uh, Kini Shikori, who uh, is going to put up a really great fight, but I, I feel like Tsitsipas uh, has just got too much game, uh, too much variety, um, great defense, nice serve, just nice everything. And we know how good Tsitsipas is as a player. Uh, and he's not the number four seed. So um, ultimately I have uh, Rafael Nadal facing off against Stefano Tsitsipas and uh, I have Nadal winning to get to the final in a very, very tough and a very tight three-setter against Tsitsipas. All right, so if we look down below in the bottom portion of the draw, I have uh, Karen Hatchinov getting to uh, the quarterfinals against... Um, oh, who I have him getting to the quarters against Alexander Zverev, who I think actually has a decent tournament. But I think Hatchinov just is, is to me, still one of the biggest surprises over the last uh, you know, 18 months or so from a player that I really just didn't think was going to be more than a 20, 25, maybe 30-ranked player, uh, somewhere in that range. 
um, but who has really started to surprise me with how good he is. Um, so I, I have um, Zverev and uh, Karen Hatchinov, and I have Hatchinov uh, getting to the semis. And then down below, I have Danil Medvedev versus uh, Marin Cilic, who I think is going to be a surprise here. Uh, given that Chilich really has not played well over the last year or so, um, he just has has looked off. Uh, I, I've heard that there's been some injury issues and everything, but in general, he has not played well, period, though, for about a year. But I feel like Chilich is going to find a way to get past Dominic Team, and that uh, it's going to be a Danilo Medvedev versus uh, Marin Chilich in the semis, which I believe is going to have Danil Medvedev, surprisingly, I guess, making it to his second consecutive final against uh, Rafael Nadal. And that's going to be the final matchup. And then in the final, I have Rafael Nadal defeating Danil Medvedev 7-6-4-6-6-2 to lift the Rogers Cup trophy for the second year in a row and retain both his title and his ranking points. So uh, for people that uh, have listened to this, of course, you probably know that uh, I've been an Nadal fan my whole life. doesn't mean I always pick the guy. Trust me. I mean, I look at the draw, and sometimes I'm like, look, I just don't think he's going to win, <laughs> period. I try to be very objective when I'm here. And if I'm looking at the draw, if I don't feel like he has a shot, I'm not going to pick him to win. Um, but I feel like with the field being lessened here, um, no, or no Djokovic, no Federer, um, you know, no, um, Del Potro and, you know, a few other players, I feel like it's, it's Nadal's in a lot of ways to lose. So, um, yeah. Anyway, let's move on to the women's side. All right. So let's talk about some of the early matches, I think on the women's side, which look quite tantalizing. Um, all right. First off, I want to talk about Simona Halep versus Jennifer Brady. So, uh, Brady's the kind of player, uh, she's big, she's got a ton of power. I mean, she can hit a winner from anywhere behind the baseline. Um, her power is, is just you know, ridiculous, to be quite honest with you. Um, and she's given Simona Halep a lot of trouble in the past. She's she's the kind of player who can really take the racket out of Simona Halep's hands. And uh, if she's on, and we've seen her on before, she could be a giant killer. She really could. And uh, she's done it before. And I'm not saying she's going to do it here, but I'm just saying it's a possibility. So look out for that match because that match could be, you know, a lot of fun. Uh, next up is, you know, we have Yelena Ostapenko, who I've always liked as a player. You know, her French Open win is still uh, one of the, the greatest, um, you know, surprise, you know, uh, title runs I've, I've, ever, I've ever seen, to be quite honest with you. Uh, there's a possibility, possibility, that she could be playing Arena Sabalenka. Uh, Sabalenka plays Anastasia. Uh, Paul, I can never pronounce her last name. I'm sorry. Uh, Anastasia uh, Pavlyuchenkova. And uh, I, I do believe that Sabalenka will come out with a victory there. If that happens, Sabalenka, who is just a big, just strong, powerful hitter from the baseline is going to be playing another player who's a big, strong, 
you know, power hitter from the baseline. And that would just be a real slugfest between two players who like to just see the ball, hit the ball. So um, look out for that if, you know, that happens. That could be, you know, a lot of fun as well. And then, uh, you know, we've got some other ones up here as well. Um, Carolina Pliskova versus Allison Risk, who I've always kind of felt like is um, not given enough credit for the talent that she possesses. That is a possible, a slight possibility, I think, that Risk could pull off an upset there because she's been playing some really good tennis this year. Um, she could come out with a victory against Pliskova. I favor Pliskova, but it could happen. But that's a really good matchup. And it's something that I think Allison Risk, it's a good matchup for her. Despite Pliskova's power level, I think Risk is she has the defense and the movement in order to actually keep rallies extended and force Pliskova to either go for something special or she'll probably make an error. So look out for that as well. Um, and then we have, um, you know, the... Uh, Victoria Azarenka and Diana Yastrzemska match. Uh, I pinpoint this just because I, I feel like I want to see what Azarenka can do. Um, she's slowly building herself back up. I'm excited to see what she does in you know, this tournament on hard courts because I feel like she's slowly making her way back. All right, so let's look at my picks for who I think is going to win on the women's on the women's side. So uh for my picks here and look full disclosure, you know, I I I wasn't able to make my picks yesterday. Usually I I tr once the draw comes out, I I get it and I sit down and I make my picks, but I've been super busy, unable to do that. Um I don't like to do it, but uh the fact is I I didn't make my picks until about an hour and a half ago. So I'm fully aware that Ashley Barty uh, has lost her match against Sophia Kennan. So um, otherwise, I will admit that Ashley Barty would have been probably at least in the late stages of the tournament. But um, that's not going to happen here. So for me, I have uh, Sophia Kennan actually uh, getting to the quarters against Alina Svitolina. And I actually have Svitolina winning that to get to the semifinals. And then down below, I have, you know, Carolina Pliskova getting past Allison Risk. I do have her win, winning. Uh, and I have her getting to the quarterfinals against fifth seed Kiki Burtons, who um, I've been impressed with. Uh, and she's won a hardcourt Masters title as well. Uh, we know that uh, she's got the ability. So, and I think she won that against Halep last year. So it's a big deal. So um, I have Kiki Burton's get to the quarters against uh, Pliskova. And then I have um, uh, Svitolina getting past uh, Sophia Kennan. Um, well, actually, I did say that. Uh, and then I have um, Carolina Pliskova uh, defeating Kiki Burton's to get to the semis. And then in the semis on that side of the draw, I have Carolina Pliskova defeating Alina Svitolina to get to the final. And then down in the bottom portion of the draw, I have, well, it's not going to be Sloane Stevens. Uh, I'll tell you that right now. Uh, but what I do think is that it's going to be Arena Sabalenka getting to the quarters against Simona Halep. And then um, I have uh, Serena Williams getting to the uh, quarterfinals against Naomi Osaka. And you know what? 
Naomi, Naomi has got a lot of points to defend coming up here at the U.S. Open, and I think she needs to refocus herself, and this could be the tournament that she does it. There's also the possibility that Osaka loses very, very early in this tournament because she honestly has not been playing very well pretty much since she won the Australian Open. Um, she's, she's Her results have been spotty at best. Um, to downright just putrid. So um, hopefully she's turning things around now because she really needs to start doing something here. I do have her getting to the semis um, or the quarters um, against Serena Williams. And I have Serena Williams actually winning that match to get to the semis. So the semis uh, there is going to be Serena Williams. And then in the third quarter there, I'm going to have... Uh, Simona Halep getting past Arena Sabalenka for a mouthwatering rematch of the Simona Halep and Serena Williams Wimbledon final from a few weeks ago. And I do have Simona Halep defeating Serena Williams and getting to the final. So it'll be a Carolina Pliskova versus Simona Halep final with Simona Halep outlasting barely, but outlasting Carolina Pliskova to lift up the Rogers Cup trophy to be uh, the women's champion of 2019. So to recap, I have Nadal on the top, uh, on the, the uh, men's side, taking out Daniil Medvedev in a tight three-setter. I also have, and uh, lifting the trophy, so he's the 2019 men's champion. Then I have Simona Halep defeating um Carolina Pliskova and uh, becoming the 2019 women's champion. And uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it for my picks. Um, you know, I could be wrong. I probably will be wrong. That's the nature of, of picking these things. It's no different than picking a, a soccer match, uh, American football, um, you know, anything like that. There's so many factors and so many variables, and that's why the games are played. It's fun to do it. It's fun to make your picks, but um, if you're expecting to be right, um, I don't know what to tell you, but you're probably going to be wrong most, not even most of the time. I would say well over 95% of the time as to who's going to win because uh, sometimes you know who in a matchup is more than likely going to win, and you'll be right there, but there's going to be plenty of upsets, and who ultimately wins the tournament isn't a guarantee, and, and that happens quite a bit. So anyway, uh, everyone, thanks for listening to me ramble on about tennis in this week's episode. I'll be back, of course, next week to recap the Rogers Cup and to preview the Cincinnati Masters. And then uh, we'll get down to business uh, and talk about the U.S. Open in the week after that. Um, actually, no. Nope, there's a week off, actually, between Cincinnati and the U.S. Open. So actually, I'll have a week off, but I will do a preview for the U.S. Open. Now, there's a possibility that Mike and Eric will come back to do a preview and talk about the U.S. Open. I have to discuss it with them. I'm not making any guarantees. Uh, if not, I will get the U.S. Open preview out early, which means I'll probably record it either the day that the, uh, the draw comes out or... Uh, I believe this Saturday, uh, the day before the tournament actually starts. So uh, expect the draw out regardless. If I am doing it myself, I will have it out early. Uh, if they're going to join me, I will do everything in my power to see if we can get it out early as well. But uh, I will I will let you know um, 
you know, whether or not it's going to be just me or if it's going to be Eric and Michael back to do the U.S. Open preview. So uh, look out for that, possibly. All right, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode. And uh, like I said before, if you want to send any feedback, you can send it to tennisatticpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, if you'd like to support us here, uh, support me, uh, but support us in general, you can go to uh, Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash freaking geeks, and you can uh, subscribe there. Um, there's different levels uh, you can subscribe to, uh, different levels get you different things. And it supports us regardless, helps to keep the light on, uh, lights on, and uh, allows us to make improvements. Uh, uh, we've been operating it, operating in the red here for from uh, basically since we started this, so we definitely are not um, you know matching our cost each month. So anything that you could help out with would be great. Uh, like I said, it's patreon.com forward slash freaking geeks. If you can't or you don't, that's completely fine. Uh, it's not a prerequisite to you know listening to this podcast. Certainly, we'll continue to put the content out there. And uh, hope you hopefully you continue to listen. But uh, regardless, thank you for tuning in and uh, joining me on this episode. So until next time, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Tennis Addict Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Addict Podcast by Freaking Geeks Media. Be sure to visit freakinggeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash freakinggeeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really helps. If you would like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to tennisaddictpodcast at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lennick or at Freak Geeks. 